0: Man, we just finished an episode with Tom Askman, who uh, he is a professor at Eastern Washington University, teaches art, painting. Um, He's also my neighbor. (laughs) And uh, I lived right across the street from Tom for close to a year. And then he graciously had me and Taz over for dinner. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) I've been missing out. This guy is such a joyful kind considerate collected human being to be around and uh this episode was great i mean i there was i could talk for another three hours with the guy i don't know how you guys right right
1: right. yeah he's easily yeah and we should honestly he's we again you said it on the podcast that he didn't even get into his art we just talked about being a human and, and finding your presence and being you know, being still a and, being. and being a being and ah, man, it's like I walk away from some of these podcasts all the time feeling grateful that we're doing something like this and being like, oh, man, this is cool. We're doing a we're doing a cool thing. Mm. Mm. How good sis? E- rip it and grip it, rip it and grip it, rip it and grip it, rip it and grip well, it. Take me
2: there with the tune, guys. What do you want to mm. sing to Tom? Oh, we usually like man. to start off
1: with singing a song, Tom. Uh, well, Tom, what's your
3: favorite band? Well, I'll sing a song for you. <laughs> a, Hell yeah. It's
1: a song that I
3: uh, I stole the, uh, not the lyrics, but the tune from Mr. Sandman. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Bring me a treat.
3: Because I happen <laughs> to be loves? a spamaholic. <laughs> <laughs> I love spam. You remember, like Masu- the food? you remember Masubi? I don't know Masubi. Oh. Uh, she had Japanese...
0: It's like a Hawaiian dish where they take square rice slab of Spam, sp- spam yeah. and wrap it in seaweed. Yeah, Spam's got a bad rap.
3: I agree. I like
2: Spam. People, really?
3: People believe that Spam is made out of all the you know toenails and all the gristle and stuff. <laughs> that's, that's not right. Spam is, S-P means spiced. A-M is ham. It's spiced ham. It's all made out of pork shoulder, nothing else. So let's get this straight. Let's do it right here on the How Good Is This Podcast with Tom Askman. non-spam eaters, just take note. (laughs) So because I'm a spam addict, I decided to write a little song. I did a video on this, too, called Mr. Spam Man. Okay. And the song goes like this. Bom, (laughs) bom, 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 bom. Mr. Spam Man, I'm so alone. I don't have a spam can to call my own. That special pink meat with jelly all over. I want to handle it and smell that odor, Mr. Spam Man. <laughs> and it goes on and on. And that's, the, that's the
2: beginning.
1: <laughs> 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 Dum, 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 bum, <laughs> <pas> <laughs> dude, that's a good that. Yeah. A Tom Askman, what a guy, dude. Showing never be- <laughs> never before has a
0: guest brought his own song for us. That is pretty treat. special. What a treat you are, Tom Askman. <laughs> uh, we are joined in the studio today by uh, a legend of a human being and actually my neighbor, Mr. Tom Askman. Pleasure to have you, brother. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me out here. This is a,
3: a very wonderful opportunity of doing something I have not ever tasted before.
0: Yeah, well, I'm excited to to taste a little rendition of your spam later because yeah. now you you've opened up the <laughs> Pandora's box. Because we will, I've got I've got a couple spam tricks up my sleeve as well. I don't I'll know really over. how
1: much spam I've had. I don't know if I really care for spam too much. It's spiced but, ham. Well, uh, let's.
0: So do you know the history of spam at all, Tom? Yes, I do, and I'm glad you asked me that question. <laughs> yeah.
3: Back during WW2, the big war, yep. when they started sending you know millions of men overseas, they were sending round cans of uh, potted meat, but they, some smart guy realized that if you change the shape— to a rectangle, you can put them together end to end and you get more cans in a box than you do with circles oh. because there's space between each one of the circles. No. So then they created the, the boxy shape of a spam can so mm-hmm. they could send all these over there and that's the beginning of that of that shape. And also they only made one car during World War II called a Crosley. Mm-hmm. And a Crosley was a very small car that was very boxy and they could put two of them side by side, and stack them in railroad cars. Mm. With the old-fashioned cars, you couldn't do that. So they were able to. They made one car only during World War II. Wow! I didn't know. No that. Way. Same shape as a spam can.
0: <laughs> just God. a big spam can. is all they were. And With I, wheels. I, I, wow. uh, was it always spiced ham, or yes. was there some other? No, no. no. They're pu- this It's just
3: pure. This is uh, something that they've always, you know, uh, held in high regard, and they've never. Dropped below their, uh, you know, what do you call that?
0: Their principle. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. you're right. Yeah. I think before we pressed record, you were, uh, you were on a tyrant of uh, your disgust for the marketing campaign of spam because it's gotten a bad bad rap in our country. You weren't disgusted. I'm just I'm making that up for, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> for context. <laughs> uh, although. Um, a lot of people in Hawaii eat spam. Yes, they do. There's a lot of there's a lot of spam in Hawaii, and I was mentioning to you masubi. You never have. I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring some masubi. Taz makes some really good masubi. Actually, there's egg on it too. That's another thing I forgot. Mm-hmm. You know, like the sushi um, rolls that have rice and then uh, just a little bit of like scrambled egg on top. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, that with with spam. In between the egg and the rice. Ooh, delight. Absolutely. I'm going to have to let
1: you guys make that for me.
0: Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about bringing that one over to Tom's house. Here I'm going to surprise ya. So you. So you might ask the question, why do so many
3: Hawaiians like spam? Because Hawaii was on the way overseas to Japan, and all of our troops were stationed in Hawaii. Well, lots and lots of them. So they delivered tons of spam to Hawaii, and the Hawaiians took it up. I mm. mean, they just, like, they fell in love with it. That's why so many wow. Hawaiians eat spam to this day. Interesting. So Blame let's, it on
1: World War II. Let's go back. You just said our troops. Were you uh, were you part of those troops as well?
3: No, I was one generation later. I was in, uh, well, I I was forced to join the service during Vietnam. Okay. You were? But I didn't go on the, uh, you know, the branch where you had to go over the season and kill people. I couldn't have done that. I was able to get into the uh, Air National Guard and avoided uh, anything that... I couldn't have killed people, I couldn't have Uh done any of that stuff. And I was also terrified of the idea of being sent off to that kind of stuff. So I was able to get into the Air National Guard, um, and then I had a job in the Air National Guard that saved us Americans from foreign aggressors because... They taught me how to hand out the right grit of sandpaper to the mechanics who were working on jet engines at an airfield in Wyoming. We had a Air Force airfield there, and so if I would have handed out the wrong grit to a mechanic, it would have caused these giant bombers to crash, and that would have allowed you know Russian bombers to come across. So, you can thank me for yeah, saving you. you from you know, hey, Tom. Thank being you. Bombed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Seriously, Thank what you, was Tom. the grit?
3: Do You're you remember? Welcome. Well, you, you know, it goes from uh, 20 grit all the way up to 3,000. Right, and, and
0: 3,000 is like the finer polishing. That's right?
3: super, super. You can't even hardly feel right. anything on it. Yeah, that's for that's for polishing the final
0: things on the jet engines. Mm. But if you give them 20 grit, it's you know it's a disaster. But do you remember what the specific perfect? grit of sandpaper was for the jets or they take all of them they take them all it's based on see that you know the rougher grits take off the
3: metal faster so they work from you know rougher to smoother but once in a while you know they aren't paying attention and i slip them a piece of sandpaper that's well you can see what would happen oh yeah Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been pretty
0: yeah you saw you see what happened to my face yeah. I used the wrong grit the other day while I was in the bathroom, and there it, it is. is. Shit all disappeared. <laughs>
1: Bugger, how, man. How, how old were you back then during those times?
0: Uh, I went
3: in, uh, let's see, I was just finished art school out in California, and I would have been 23, 22,
1: something like that. Voluntarily Probably. went in or were drafted?
3: Oh, no, no. I See, I would have been drafted in the military. In fact, uh well, we'll back up just a little bit. The mm-hmm. last semester I was in art school, I was in the Bay Area at a at a private art school, not a regular college. And um, I had written a letter back to the draft board in Wyoming where I'm from, and I just had this impulse to write them and tell them how, how much I disagreed with the whole war and how I didn't want to go do something uh, like kill people in a foreign country. I would rather go teach art and help people learn how to de- be more creative mm-hmm. and I sent a letter to the draft board now why I did that now I look back and wonder what the hell was wrong with me but
2: um, I didn't <laughs> now I they had your wrote, address.
3: I wrote the letter sent yeah, it off exactly. forgot about it and then about a week after I sent the letter off I get a, a call from a college down in Missouri it was a private women's college outside of Kansas City and I had applied uh, for grad school because this is just after my undergrad during my uh, undergrad degree. I had applied to grad school at a college, University of uh, Missouri, and the wife of the guy who was in charge of that art program had sent my slides over to her school, which, where she was teaching. They were looking for an art person to come down and teach at that private women's college, and they they loved my art, and she called and said, hey, we want to offer you a job. Come down here and teach at Stevens Women's College. Mm. I got offered a job, but I'd sent that letter back to the draft board the week before, and then a week after that, I get a call from my father saying, Tommy, what the hell did you do? <laughs> he said, I'm good friends with the so-and-so, the draft board guy, and he had taken your name off the list. You would have never been oh, no. drafted, oh, no. and now you are at the top of the list. <laughs> oh, God.
1: Oh, You were the original <laughs> hater. So would I would have been, uh,
3: my life would have been probably destroyed had I got taken that job down oh. at a women's college at my age back in the day when I was still doing a lot of running and gunning and drinking and. So it probably worked
1: out for the best. Mm. You said mm. your life would have been destroyed had it not have gone this, that way.
3: If it had gone that way, because I think I would have gotten into too much trouble. Mm. How so? If he
1: had gone to the women's college. Women's college. Together. Yeah, I no, I know. <laughs> 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 and you were running you were running and gunning pretty he's heavily. He's a man. Yeah, he's yeah. a man going to a women's college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah women. Yeah, And, you and were he's what, handsome mid... and dapper AF. Yeah. <laughs> you were in your mid-20s or so? Early 20s, yeah. Early 20s, yeah. Mm-hmm cause for trouble for sure oh yeah, yeah. For sure. but
0: on the bright side you got a whole bunch of free spam <laughs> that is so true and how i not
3: uh <laughs> had all of that not happened the way it did i wouldn't be sitting here with you all that's right that's it's true. so weird how everything that happens takes you to another place to another location and wow had i not gone in the Air National guard i wouldn't have been able to be free to go to graduate school after that which i did after i did my f- basic training And everything leads to this moment sitting here with you guys.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So bizarre. It's super cool. It is super wild. I was thinking, uh, I think about that quite often. Um, The house that, you know, we live right across the street from you, Tom. I I may have never met you. The house that we bought uh, was under contract three separate times before we put an offer on it. And in those three separate contracts... They couldn't get an electrician out in time to fix the... What's the box? The big box, you know, where everything goes to all the electricity. Breaker. breaker box. There was no electrician with available time to come replace it in time for those contracts with the bank to, you know, to to be to work all right. With The fourth one and the electrician came in that little tiny window and we got the house. But it's bonkers how the little deviations in life, the little web that we create is how fragile it is. Yep. I mean, we, I kind of, I kind of live my life in this jovial sense of like, well, nothing, you know, kind of, I'm not a nihilist, but there's definitely moments in my life where I'm like, that doesn't matter. Or that thing that I'm, that doesn't matter that I don't go to that party or that I don't do that thing. or, And, uh, those moments could change the entire trajectory of your life. They do. They do, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is really terrifying.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It is. You started uh, uh, doing art really, really young, yeah, Tom? Because mm-hmm. you're like a, a, an award winning artist and have been, have been a, a professor and have been doing visual art for how long?
3: Well, at least 70 years. Seventy years. That's amazing.
1: Can't even compute that.
3: Oh, you will someday. You'll look back. We'll see
1: if I mm-hmm. if, if I can. Yeah, stay on that peloton, Jules. Yes, yeah, on that peloton. What
0: um, <laughs> What is it like teaching right now?
3: Well, when the pandemic hit, they they wanted all of our. Well, I was down on a sabbatical in New Orleans when the when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And when I came back uh, toward the end of March, we, we were on a quarter system. So the f- spring quarter at Eastern Washington University, where I uh, teach, uh, was, uh, was on a quarter system. So they were going to start April 1st. And I was driving back toward in late March. Just when the pandemic hit, the freeways were completely barren of cars because everything was locked down. Mm. So a trip that usually takes five and a half days I made in three from New Orleans back to Spokane. Wow. So I'm going to tell you this story and then jump into what the question was, if Sweet. I remember. Please, yeah. I'll, I'll remind you. So I took two days to get back to Wyoming, my, my kind of hometown. And I was there with uh, my relatives for a couple of days. And then and then uh, I got the call that there wasn't going to be any on-campus teaching, and I had to prepare to teach Everything online, which I had never done, and I didn't believe in it then, nor do I believe in it now. So I thought, Jesus, I got to get back. To I only got about five days to learn how to Zoom and do all these kind of things and prepare three classes. So the day that I left Wyoming, it, it's a 14 hour drive typically to get back to Spokane from Casper. And uh, I made it in nine hours, which means I was going a little bit faster than the (laughs) speed limit. Uh, And coincidentally, somewhere in the middle of Montana, where there was no cars hardly at all, I noticed a white car going the other direction. And I thought, well, it can't be a highway patrolman because they always have black cars. Well, there was a median between us of about 40 feet. And I... I looked in my rearview mirror just as the white car went the other way, and then I saw the brakes slam on, and I saw the car try to turn around in the median, and I'm about to hit a corner, so I just thought, oh, I know it's a cop. So I went around the corner, and I had three choices to make. One was to just slow way down and wait for him. The second was speed up and find a turnout where I could hide, and hopefully he would drive by and I'd miss him. <laughs> or the third one was to make up a story. Yeah. So I decided to go with the third one. Great one. And I knew I had about five minutes to figure out the story. Well, it, it came down to, oh, yeah, we have this thing called the Tor- Toyota Corolla Virus or whatever it was called. <laughs> and I just said, okay, I'm going to just tell him uh, a story. So I got my uh, driver's license out, and I slowed down, and he came up behind me, and I pulled over. And as he got out of the car, I had my driver's license out. I had the window roll down, and I looked back at him as he got at the back of my car, and I said, excuse me, sir, here's my driver's license. You may not want to get any closer because I may have this thing. <laughs> and I'm heading back to Wyoming in case I need to go to the hospital. And he backed up. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, God damn it, he said, well, at least slow down so you don't kill yourself on your way back to the hospital. <laughs> And he let me go. Wow.
2: And he said, by the
3: way, I clocked you at 102.
0: (laughs) Wow, Tom, you are (laughs) such a savage. (laughs) So then I get back to
3: Spokane, and then I have to prepare everything to teach online. And so I taught spring quarter of last year all online. And it was one of the most challenging experiences I've had. I got so frustrated trying to learn technology that I Mm. didn't. Didn't know anything about, nor did I want to know about it. So then, come the fall of this year, uh, they said you could put in a request to teach on campus, but you had to have all these qualifications. There was about twenty different things you had to have. The typical social distancing and air conditioning, and you know. And I thought, what do well, we have to wear hazmat suits? And what's it going to be? Mm. And, well, I so I sent in a request with all the things that they asked for and they denied it. So I, they said, you can alter this and try again, so I did, and they d- denied the second one. Well, it went through three people who who said, yes, you can teach on campus, but then the, the safety people were the ones that said no. So then I, I kind of wrote a letter, I didn't kind of, I wrote a letter sort of telling them that, you know, these students are not gonna get what they pay for if you don't let me go in and teach painting in person. You can't teach painting online. You can't. You have to be there. You have to see the canvases. You have to talk to the students individually. And you have to see the surfaces. They have to be around physical objects. Mm-hmm. And you have to have those continuing dialogues going on. And if you don't allow me to teach on campus, I'm going to file a civil <coughs> action suit against the university on their behalf and demand that you pay, their, pay back their tuition. <gasps> And they said, "Oh, maybe you ought to teach on campus." <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: so I did. So I've been teaching painting on campus.
0: There seems to be a recurring, uh, a recurring adjective, that pops into my mind when I hear you tell these stories about getting, getting off your speeding ticket, going 102. You're pretty crafty, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think it's just the. The nature of you know when you live more in your right hemisphere and you're more in the creative part of of the brain, then you are able to access all of these potential options quicker than someone who's living more in the
1: rational brain all the time mm-hmm. you've you always been that way yeah yeah, ever since you were a kid, yeah you started painting when you were young uh, just drawing just when drawing as a kid, yeah uh-huh. mm-hmm.
3: and carving things. I did a lot of you know carving wood and making little sculptures and things when I was a kid,
1: yeah 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 that's so interesting yeah i've seen some of your some of your painting you do a sunday uh workshop with friends and people or it's class not really a or? workshop people just show up and do
3: what they do and every month we we have a group critique where people just say what they want about each other's work but other than that nobody you know unless somebody asks me i'll give them some suggestions but it's not a workshop it's Mm -hmm. just people coming in and painting to have that connection Mm -hmm.
0: that's great Mm -hmm. yeah
3: yeah it's It's awesome it
1: seems like it's such a it seems like it's such a free-spirited event of people who just come and really enjoy your company and and i come in there and there's just such a nice energy every time i walk in and it seems really cool you you, you you have such a nice energy tom i don't know I don't know how. I mean, you're just a nice, sweet guy. You're so with it. And you're so. I'm just so fascinated by so many things about your life. And you walked me through your house when I came over for dinner with Alan and his wife Taz the other day. And you showed me this big circle. And the circle. I I would love for you to kind of describe it to me because I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it trying to explain what it was. But I but I believe it had something to do with like relinquishing your ego and kind of getting away, stepping away from the these these parts of yourself that you're going to adapt into as you grow and as you age. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of your own designs, kind of a theory of mm-hmm. yours, um, to kind of be the best version of yourself or the best mm-hmm. creator. Um, can, can you walk me through that and kind of and tell us what that was all about? Because it was super fascinating to me.
3: I would love to, and thank you for bringing that up, because yeah. I have a, I have a deep passion that developed uh, when I was 42 years old I was uh, practicing alcoholic and I became suicidal not because of the alcohol but because of the thinking because when you're an alcoholic the problem you have is not with the booze most people think it is it's with your mind that isn't able to cope with reality. In a, in a healthy way when you're young and so you find alcohol and then it takes away a lot of uh, those painful emotional things so when you're drinking you're free uh, way freer I used to be shy really shy but when I drank I wasn't mm. I had liquid courage mm. mm-hmm. and other exp- experiences I had in my childhood that were not you know very uh, nurturing in my family so I just had and there's something about people who are living more in the, in the right brain, more, people who are creative in general, are they find they're more sensitive to subtle things. They're very sensitive people who don't suffer well. Mm. And so when you put alcohol in people like me, it, it becomes a, a, a very good friend. Mm-hmm. And for years, it, it actually, I believe, kept me alive. Wow. And then it, then it started turning. You know, there's a Japanese saying that first the man takes the drink, then the drink takes the drink, then the drink takes the man mm-hmm. or woman. So that was it. And I ended up uh, putting a gun in my mouth when I was 42. And I told a friend of mine who had been in AA that uh, there was maybe something that would save my life uh, that I hadn't tried yet. So he really encouraged me to go to a meeting. And I did, and that changed my life right away because I felt hope and I felt connecting and I felt love in that first meeting. Mm. Wow. So since then, I have just stayed on the path of uh, moving away from living in my mind as the master and moving down into the heart where where truth is, where love is, where spirit is. Call it God, call it whatever you want, source, creator of the universe but that is all is within each of us Mm -hmm. at 42 when I put a gun in my mouth I didn't know any of that would existed and the program that I found is based on spiritual principles and it's it's also based on going through these simple steps to deflate the ego sufficiently enough to have a spiritual awakening and that means that we get reconnected to our heart Some people call it God. I call it love. Mm. I had armored my heart with my mind so much through all those years of drinking that I did not really know how to feel love anymore. So I was disconnected from the only thing, to me, the most important thing in life is to be connected to that being nature that is inside of us. Mm -hmm. And as I spent those I've you know, spent the decades being in, in uh, recovery, and then reading lots of books on spirituality and going to uh, different kind of meditation retreats and all of that, I started to experience the truth that um, we are educated in a way that is backwards. Uh, we mind-nap, We mind-nap young people, and they are then led down a path that is all about consumerism, it's all about living for the future instead of living in the mm-hmm. moment. And everything that education does is to keep them away from who they are. We ignore the truth that's inside of each of us. So that thing that you saw is five rings that I came up with to sort of describe visually how it, where it started and how where we end up. So in the center ring, the bullseye is the being. That's B, two two letters B. That's the truth of our, of our authentic nature. We are beings, spiritual beings, and in that state we are in a, We are in perfection. There is nothing that can be added or taken away. There is nothing judgmental in that place. It is called love, and it is a high vibrational energy that science has been you know, working with in the last few decades uh, to reveal that the heart has an amazing power of its own. It has its own brain. Mm. And that the heart sends 5,000% more magnetic energy up into the mind that the mind, then the mind sends down to the heart. Now they can measure all this now. So the heart is way more than an organ. It is actually the seed and the the essential nature of what makes us uh, who we are authentically. So at you know when I started experiencing that truth and then realized okay well from the being where do we go well we go into feeling, the being nature does not feel plus or minus, the being is just it just is, it transcends anything that comes. From the personality self that is developed as we go into what Ram Das calls somebody training. And somebody training is when we learn language. When we learn how to label everything. Mm. And as soon as we start labeling things, we, we miss the things. We lose the thing. Now, as an example, uh, when you look at a chair and you you don't know what the hell it is as a baby, but then the parents point out this thing that you don't know what it is and they keep saying chair... And then pretty soon you say chair, and then anything with four legs and a seat in the back becomes a chair. But you, as soon as you label it, you quit seeing it. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is you quit seeing the specificity of what it is, like the colors that it is, the texture on the chair, you know, does it have a pad? What, what kind of light is hitting the chair? So all of the things that define one chair from another chair are lost, and everything becomes a symbol. Like a Christmas tree symbol that kids you know. Kids just make these silly little things that everybody mimics. The same thing with drawing an eye or a mouth. You put a line around something. There are no lines around our eye, there's no lines around our mouth. But why do we symbolize everything? Because we're taught to label. And that dis- that moves us away from the truth of what we see. So we go into this being mind napped at an early age and then we are pulled further and further away from our being as we are taught that doing is, is the action. You're going to go out and do stuff. What are you going to be when you grow up? All of this stuff is setting, setting kids up to false beliefs that happiness is going to find its way to them out there. So it's an externally uh, created reality. Mm. It isn't even reality. It's just uh, something that we are taught, God, go out there and do all these things. When you have more stuff and you do more things, you'll be happy. Well, if you come back to the center bullseye where the being is, we are already happy. We are born in a state of just pure joy. It's something that I love the word ineffable. Hmm. I can point to it with words, but words cannot be it. Right. So the part of us that is the true authentic self transcends language. It is beyond words and thoughts. And when I started teaching and I, uh, 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 as I got into recovery and I started experiencing this stuff, I realized, my God, these college students are, are just lost because they are being educated away from the truth. And we paid only lip service to it at colleges and all the way through education, really. Um, And so I wanted to do something that I could, uh, that would potentially have a benefit to help students see that there's another path. You know, instead of going out there and living in the having and doing those outer rings in my target, that they can start focusing, coming back into the place where the heart is and let the heart be the master of the mind But what's happening in almost everyone is the mind is the master of the heart. And if you look at what's going on politically and socially, everything that's going on, we are falling apart. And we're falling apart because we are not addressing the most important part of what it means to be breathing on this planet. Hmm. And that is our nature.
0: That was a, I want to stand up and applaud. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <Like, laughs> yeah, thank you so much. That for was a ri- that, so. really really well put, Tom. Um, we do a lot of practice in um, manufacturing those outer rings. Right? You you you've said in that that we teach young people and we teach children who you're going to be eventually. You know, we teach them to future think and to jump way out, and try to figure out the world. Um, and I would agree, agree with you that the center of, of, of ourselves, our being, our heart, is the most integral part of our reality and uh, the most integral part of ourselves. How do you combat that practice of uh, cultivating those outer rings and, and yet going in the heart? Does that make sense? mm mm-hmm yeah what, what, what is your practice what is your daily mm-hmm. routine like that allows you to get outside your head and more into your heart mm-hmm. well, that's a great question and
3: I started a class three years ago that addresses that specifically and I, it's for incoming fresh people i don't call them freshmen anymore okay uh, that it's a class is designed to help them become aware of what I'm talking about so that they can go through college and use specific practices and tools that will become habits and rituals that will start changing the uh, emphasis away from the rational mind being in control and letting the heart start to become more and more the guide for how to get through life. And there's an Einstein quote that I love, and I found it many, many years ago, and I have it up in the in the room where I teach painting. And it, it says, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift. Mm. The rational mind, a faithful servant. We as a society have made the servant the master, and we have forgotten the gift. So here's one of the brilliant, most brilliant minds ever saying that the rational mind is not going to work if it's the master. That mm. we have to... We have to re-attach uh, ourselves and become connected again to that intuitive self. And he calls it the intuitive mind, but it doesn't mean mind in terms of thinking mind. It means awareness. The, the intuitiveness of us is, is at the heart of this whole, uh, this whole purpose of living authentically means we have to trust our intuition. Our intuition came with the first breath. You know, we came with this gift of that's a big part of creativity is our intuition. Mm. And to come back and tap into it uh, and to and to trust it. And then people say you can't trust your intuition and all that. Those are people who are living in their head, buying into all the stories they've been told that, well, you better think you got to figure it out. Uh, well, our mind is very, very limited and about three quarters of all the thoughts we have are... Science has proven are negatively biased and and so we think the same thoughts every day That means we're using the past to live in the moment So we're not really living in the moment Mm. and we have all these old beliefs that people have put into us that are not true for us and so if we start so what I do in this new class is every day we start with about a 15-minute meditation and I give them different people with different, you know, different uh, processes of how to meditate. And after the meditation, then they do what's called intuitive drawing. And intuitive drawing is a way to use creativity and intuition without letting the mind interfere. So an intuitive drawing is where you just pick up something to to make a mark on a, you know, a piece of paper. It can be pencil, pen. Uh, I encourage them to use colors, use oil pastels or pastels or colored pencils. And I say, you're going to do this just for the sake of doing it. You don't have a plan. You don't have an agenda. You cannot use any recognizable subject matter. Because as soon as you put down something that your mind can label, then you create a narrative and then you're lost in your mind again because you want to tell the story about that thing. So I say, you can't have anything recognizable. What does that look like? Well, you just scribble. It's called doodling. And you just let your hand move around and you feel the pressure of the tool on your hand and the paper and you watch the marks being made and just let them go. And you don't know what's going to look like. You have no agenda. You're not going to show these to anybody. They're just done as a pure, spontaneous response to the moment. Mm-hmm. Intuitive art is about living in the moment without any plan. Mm. And it's the opposite of how they are trained to think about reality. What is more real than just picking up a color like an oil pastel that makes these beautiful colors across a paper and just letting it scribble its way across or smash it, whatever you you know, it's like being a kid again. It's like that joyous moment where you just feel like I want to rumple the paper or I want to, I want to, sp- pound on it. I want to rub my elbow on the color. Yeah, cool. That's the freedom that you give yourself. And when you do that, your ego is not involved. right? Because when you're not going to show it to anybody, you don't care what it looks like. So all of these things keep you into a moment-to-moment joyous. It becomes very joyous. And my experience with the students toward the end of each term, as I ask them, what are the most important things that you gain from this course? The majority of them always include intuitive drawing as being very, very, very helpful to help
1: them free up yeah. from this control of the rational mind. You're giving them permission to, That's to, it. to, 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 to be them, their most truest self in, in their nature, which is so cool, which is such a gift, but everybody has the ability to. Everybody, So every single person in the world can wake up in the morning and start to intuitive draw or Absolutely. do or intuitive, write Or just get, just move, intuitively move, whatever that thing is. We talk about, um, creativity a lot on this podcast and just in general, because of the nature of our careers and what we do. Uh, and Alan and I were actually having a conversation yesterday about, uh, self worth and what and where it gets wrapped up and at least for me in in that um so much of because creativity is so unlimited and it seems like there's always so much that we can be continuing to do and expand on and understand more of personally, I always want to continue to like learn and do more and grow and find more and get this mm. thing and it it starts to become part of my self worth whereas if I'm not trying to find more of that stuff if i'm not doing more things and it falls into your pattern of like the doing the doing rather than just being and accepting who i am that i i feel like in order to feel value in my own life i have to do this thing and i wonder just because we have you here and i like feel like you're such a a wealth of knowledge i kind of selfishly just want to like know (laughs) what your uh uh, like suggestions are for somebody like me, who you probably run into a lot with creatives who just run into that self worth problem with themselves and trying to trying to always garner more stuff and and understand more so that they can feel like they're worth value. something. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. But I, but I don't know how to really get away from it as much as I try. I don't know if it's an age thing or what. But
3: well. My first uh, 40 years was exactly what you're describing. I was uh, I did not know how to uh, love myself. Mm-hmm. I was not taught to love myself. Most, very few people are, uh, especially men. You know, boys are not taught about. You know, you don't hug. You don't. That was my family anyway. Mm. You never tell people you love them. That didn't happen in my family, and I know that the friends I had as a kid back in Wyoming, that that was not common. Uh, so, I. The only way I could feel okay was if somebody told me I was okay. Right. And then I, so I do a drawing and somebody say, well, wow, I like your drawing. That gave me validity. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I couldn't give myself validity. I did not know how to do it because I was already disconnected from my heart and I was living out there. And then I figured out, I became a chameleon. I, I could fit into almost any kind of group, no matter what they did, the cowboys, the the hoods when I was in high school, I, you know, build hot rods and I could be with those kind of guys. I could be with the ranchers. I mean, I just, because I didn't have my own, I didn't have my own authenticity. Mm-hmm. I was unable to do it. And I found that because, uh, I got, you know, a lot of, uh, success with, uh, people saying we like, I like your art and I get into shows and all that, then I depended upon other people giving me my sense of worth right. and it wasn't until I crashed and burned and realized that my ego ain't my amigo
1: mm. <laughs> <laughs> ah! yeah
3: and that was what that was when one of the spiritual awakenings or spiritual experiences made me realize oh it's my ego that I have to just deflate mm-hmm. and as I deflate it, then the doing why I do things changed to something that just uh, became true for me and I didn't need you to tell me. I didn't have to fit into the art world anymore.
1: Right. But I, I have this, I use this metaphor a lot of uh, this idea that our culture thinks we need to crash and burn before we stop texting while driving. Meaning, like, we need to have money before we start saving money. We need to have a, a heart attack before we start getting on the exercise bike. We need to, you know, do this thing before this thing happens. You need to crash and burn before you changed mm-hmm. your life up. Do does is that necessary? It seems like it's this cultural imprint that we have that just like we're we're stuck inside of that we're like I'm not going to make any big changes for myself. I'm not going to I'm not going to get out of this headspace of myself. I'm not going to feel value for myself with myself until I have this gigantic revelation. But what is why why and how do Mm -hmm. I just eat like softly? kind of land there for myself rather than having to crash and burn because you crashed and burned is from, from what I'm hearing. Um, and, and that seems to be like the, the way that so many people have this awakening for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want that to be the case for so many people because it's like, you don't, I don't want people to feel like they have to crash and burn to, 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 to discover who they are. Um, and I'm, and I'm trying my best. I feel like I've crashed and burned and have had several rock bottom moments in my life I don't want to have another one to have to figure out who I'm, I'm trying to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any, any um, suggestions for people who are potentially trying to figure that out with themselves? Because there's so many young people nowadays that are just grasping for identity and trying to figure themselves out. and I just don't think that they have to have that moment of, of uh, rock bottom to discover mm-hmm. the thing that they're looking for.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. That class that I'm telling you about is about uh, helping people who have not hit rock bottom because they're young, you know, they're end of their teenage years and all people go through some trauma. Everybody gets some trauma by the time you're out of your teens. But in most cases, it isn't severe. It's not, it's not a big, huge bottom, Mm -hmm. but they're, they're experiencing lots of stress. They're experiencing anxiety and Uh, they, most students have a doubt, you know, that, but it, it's not profound. So this class is designed to help those students who uh, have not hit bottom, but to give them the tools so that, and to make it real clear to them that they got, the biggest choice that I see they're going to make is to just continue letting rational thought and the mind and education take them away from their self or to just do the practices that will start reversing that now so that they will they will have the habits and the rituals that will put them more in connection with their heart more often and then they will feel the benefits of authentic living uh, you know while they're in college and that will avoid them having to go through some you know Horrific sort of, you know, event or whatever. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. It's not easy. (laughs) No. It's not.
3: And there are people uh, like Ram Dass, who is one of my favorite uh, authors who who brought Eastern religion over to this country back in the 60s, and he didn't hit any giant bottoms that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people do, uh, like Eckhart Tolle, who wrote, the Power of Now mm-hmm. and A New Earth, yeah. two of the two incredibly important books for people who want to yeah. change the path and go on this different journey. Uh, he hit a bottom, mm-hmm. but but a lot of people that I've you know listened to and researched, they just sort of slowly evolved. It's a gradual awakening because they were curious and because they somehow I think they intuitively knew that living from the external world as the source of happiness was not going to work for them. Mm -hmm. So maybe some people just have a greater awareness
0: earlier on. I didn't. It's funny, because I discovered, well, I guess first and foremost, rock bottom, right, is subjective. Subjective, Right. right. Like putting a gun in your mouth is, that's, collectively, people would say, that's a pretty solid that's a pretty solid bottom. Uh, but Julian's rock bottom versus my rock bottom versus your rock bottom, that's all... Subjective circumstantial. and Circumstantial. But I... Uh, you mentioned Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. And um, my incredible wife introduced me to The Power of Now at what I would have called a rock bottom for me. It wasn't, you know, in hindsight, when I think about your rock bottom, or uh, other um, obstacles that people have hit on the way down. Mine was pretty,
1: pretty easy. But it's incomparable, dude. Like- it
0: is. It, it is incomparable. But I just, I got to make that known to the internet that I'm not complaining. <laughs> just kidding. Ah, well, you're allowed <laughs> um, to. Too. But that book, that book changed my life. That book really. Uh, gave me a perspective. I would encourage anybody, period, like regardless of where you're at in your life, mm-hmm. give that give that book and that author Eckhart Tolle some time because the perspective is really cool. I, I go back like constantly and will listen to The Power of Now. I'm not much of a reader, but I'll listen to it on audiobook. And uh, I wanted to ask you though, Tom, because I feel like I'm a, creative person and I'm right brain, but I'm also like a slave to my rational mind quite, quite often. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what tools, if any, would you, would you use to know how to balance those two things? Because I personally believe that, I mean, my rational brain, I appreciate Mm-hmm. I've never heard that quote before by Albert Einstein the mm-hmm. intuitive brain is the master and the mm-hmm. rational brain is the servant just cool to think about because it doesn't it doesn't disrespect the rational brain. Because I think we need that in some capacity Absolutely. right but I don't know when to shut my rational brain off and mm-hmm. turn on the intuitive brain or are they both engines that simultaneously need to work together in your perspective
3: Well, I just speak from my experience. And a few years ago, I went to a a, a seminar put on by an institution called HeartMath. Yes. H-E-A-R-T-M-A-T-H. That's one word. They've been researching the heart as something beyond being an organ since the early 90s. And they have a term called heart coherence. And during that five-day seminar thing we were taught some exercises that uh, when you put your hand over your heart as soon as you touch your hand to your chest where your heart is your awareness goes to that place so that's one way that you instantly start slowing the mind down Uh, and as you and they have you breathe through your chest put your hand on your heart breathe through your Imagine that you're breathing through your chest, into your, directly into your heart. And as you do that, think about something that you appreciate or something that you're grateful for. And to me, those are synonymus. <laughs> uh, and as you do that, your breath and your heart become coherent. And as they become coherent, then the mind starts to align itself with what's going on in the heart. The heart slows down. Then the mind slows down, and the mind becomes—you become clearer in how you become aware of your thoughts. So it's it's a, kind of a form of meditation, but it's very very powerful. That can be—we can do this any time during the day, to just pause, put our hand on our heart, or I put both hands on my heart often, and and just remember to uh, breathe deep, and that. Uh, The power, the authentic power that is in us is not in the mind, it's in the heart. Mm. And that when we are quieting down, as soon as you follow your breath, you're not thinking. Anytime you're really truly with a breath, you are not thinking. So I do more of that now because I want my mind to be the servant and use it as as a great tool. As you said, it's a great tool. It's wonderful, uh, but it is a horrible master. Mm-hmm. And to know that we can reverse that, uh, to me, is is incredibly important to know and to be aware of. That's awesome. That is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I'm I'm doing it right now, and I've been getting uh, getting into breath work a lot mm-hmm. in the last couple of years because I kept losing my voice on the road. Mm-hmm and uh i there's nothing more there's nothing more shameful than having hundreds of people show up to hear you do the one thing (laughs) that you do well and not be able to do it it's especially if they pay for it it's very i've i've lost many nights of sleep because i couldn't sing and i started doing uh some breath work this uh i think he's german this cat named wim Mm -hmm. Hof. and um it's funny enough i was telling a story the other day uh tom and i'm not sure that you would remember this but maybe you might i installed this cold plunge shower outside of my house uh got a hot tub go from the hot tub and then i go and cold plunge and this is kind of wim Mm Hof's theory he does i don't know if he really works on the hot much but he definitely does the cold plunge with breath work and uh one morning um i'm out there doing my breathing in the hot tub and i get out and i go to do the cold plunge and i look over the fence and there's three four point bucks in your yard do you remember this i do i'm <laughs> ass naked <laughs> i look across and i see the bucks and i see you standing in your in your window of your house and we both we both go what the fuck (laughs) these bucks walk out of your yard and just start walking down i mean to see that many bucks together that big of bucks is quite crazy and I do remember this was early on living in my house. I don't even know if we were that close of friends at that point, but I remember coming inside and being like, Well, I flashed I flashed our neighbor Tom. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I saw three bucks. <laughs> it was it was super cool, but you were buck naked. I was yeah. buck naked for the bucks. Yeah, it was uh shining, shining achievement in my neighborly ways. But that breath work has done multitudes for me i've yet i have not lost my voice on the road i've been i've had 104 fevers on the road and still sang through it wow. and it's all been from that hot cold plunge and that breath work and i would is it james Nestor? do you guys know this book breath mm-hmm, that's is, is I, I that the know, name of the author I don't know, taz is reading it right now taz is reading Nestor it right is now but name. he um he's done quite an incredible uh, job researching breath and and actually breathing through the nose, okay. and uh, as you say, put your hand over your heart. I'm gonna start doing that when I'm doing the Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be nice.
1: Got Julian into it too. Yeah, it's great. I I'm an, I'm anxious always, and it's been nice to uh, to find ways to to breathe into stuff like it. A lot of the things you're talking about kind of correlate to. Um, like acting classes that I've taken before, because you get into these rooms and you know, you sit with yourself and you really try to tap into your own spiritual essence and hold your heart and breathe into yourself and, you know, try to find, you know, these qualities of yourself that you wouldn't be otherwise. And so have you ever done any acting or no, but when you, I heard for, you say that it's,
3: it's really similar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like they, they have a lot of correlations yeah. and um, it's, I think it saves me from the the anxiety that I will have otherwise, but that goes back to the same thing of how I don't need to do that thing in order to feel saved by the thing like I just want to be able to sit still and not do anything like if everything got taken away, if I didn't have a podcast with my best friend Alan and we didn't have all of these cool tools to take advantage of, and if I didn't have like a resume of acting credits and you remove all of that from my life. I sit with myself and I ask, are you satisfied with who you are without any of that stuff? And I don't know how to answer that question for myself yet. Yeah. And that is a, that's shameful to me because I want to be able to say strongly, yes, for mm-hmm. sure. I'd be happy with who I am. And I know that like so many people, of my peers and my friends and family are, would, would say, absolutely, like, you don't need any, none of that stuff is why we appreciate you or like you, mm-hmm. you know, um, but so much of it for myself is why I like myself. And, and it's just, it's just, it's just too bad because I really want to be able to continue to, I, I have to remember. And that's why I think like acting, being creative for me saves me in, in allowing me to kind of, uh, uh, just relinquish the the anxiety and the stresses in my life and 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 tap into a different part of my brain that I don't tap into otherwise and it's not necessarily that I'm like I'm not even that much of a rational minded person like I'm more intuitive I think than 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 most and I think I'm operating from that place almost too much sometimes mm-hmm. uh, yeah I don't know I don't know but I just haven't found out my balance with it all yet and so and i'm and i'm constantly trying and i'm navigating it as much as best as i can but the 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 breath work that you've taught me and helped me with the approach has has really helped and and all the creative stuff that i try to do and 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 continue with is is really helpful but i don't want to have to do any of it to feel good
0: <laughs> well i i mean i sorry i'm not sure if there was a question for tom and no there, i didn't i was just talking i uh I forget who it, who it was that said it, but we kind of picture this destination, right? That's future thought, is we have this idea about destination and end and goal, and uh, we think about our spirituality and our centeredness in that perspective. I'm going to get there someday. I'm going to achieve this nirvana, and... uh I don't think that first and foremost, if you ever do achieve nirvana, it's not just gonna, you're not just there forever. This is like a constant gear that you have to turn manually on your own, and it's not like you're never going to deal with anxiety ever again. I mean, uh, I'm the same way. I'm relatively a uh, an anxious person, and in order for me to uh, in order for me to outsmart those demons, it's a daily practice. It's a hourly practice. And, um, I think you can get closer for sure, but then man, shit, something comes into your life and puts you five steps back and you got to remember those things and constantly remind remind yourself of that same. How often do you remind yourself, Tom, are you just on, are you just on this like Nirvana autopilot now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> There are very few people that from my
3: experience and everything I've read uh, that have what are called radical awakenings. And a radical awakening is one of those people that their ego just disappears. Eckhart Tolle, I believe, is one of those people. And another woman that I I went on a fairly long uh, retreat with her and a bunch of people, uh, Byron Katie is a phenomenal person to research about what we're talking about. Uh, and it all comes down to, uh, the mind has about 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. A lot of them are gonna slip by and pull our consciousness into them. And a lot of the thoughts, about three quarters of them, are not positive or nurturing or loving thoughts. So that's where our anxiety and our stress are gonna come from. We are not aware enough to observe the thoughts as they come up quick enough to say that thought is not helping me and let it pass by you know push it away just move it aside so there's a one thing I read not too long ago and this this guy had studied a lot of ancient readings and years and years of research into uh, religions from the east way back and All of this came down for him with two sentences of four four words each. The first sentence is, was that thought useful? Four words. And the second one is, how did it behave? Was that thought useful? How does it behave? Is a way to stop all of these thoughts that want to take us away from being at peace and connected to the now. So just to come up with something like those and then memorize them and make them habitual so that throughout the day when I start, uh, the only way that I know uh, this is working though is that I have to have experienced enough quietness in my body and be aware that my body can be non-stressed so that when it starts getting stressed, I am now aware that my body Is acting up in a way that is caused by thinking, and that you know nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And when I first saw that, I didn't believe it, I thought it was bullshit. But then, as I did an inner inquiry into it, I realized that's so true for me. If I think it's bad, I'm going to believe it's bad. But if I don't think it's bad, if I, just think, if I just accept it for what it is, if everything is just what it is and I don't judge it, then I am in a space where I'm not going to react and I'm not going to put myself under stress or anxiety. Those two things I know for me are absolutely not essentially part of life, that they are created by thinking. All emotional suffering is caused by attachment of mind. And man, did my mind attach to a hell of a lot of negative thoughts and I caused myself so much of those unhealthy feelings for years. And then another one that Ram Das said that whenever his mind takes him into the past with something negative or into the future, with something negative he is doing violence to his moment. Mm. Mm. And man did I do a lot of violence to my moments. Same. But my one of my, you know, missions now for me is to p- keep practicing awareness so that my, the witness part of me, the consciousness that is beyond my thinking mind can observe the thoughts and choose which thoughts I am going to allow to create the feelings that I want. Research shows that every thought that we have releases chemicals into the body. So if all of those thoughts that are negative go in there, pretty soon I'm feeling anxious. I mean, it creates stress hormones. Uh, and the, God, the research is just showing so much stuff that can help us. You know, To realize that stress is optional we just, students come into college now, they just think, oh, I'm stressed about this. Mm. See, it's like they just assume it's natural, and they, mm-hmm. can't, they can't get rid of it. And my experience is that that's not true. That when you start observing the, the mind, the thoughts more and more, then you free yourself from how they can trap you into negativity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In in practicing mindfulness, have you watched as the years have uh, evolved, as you've kind of grown into yourself and into your mindfulness that you seemingly have a lot of? Um, has your art changed with that? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see it. You can see the evolution.
3: Well, once I decided, once I realized that I was giving my uh, giving the art world too much control over. The kind of art that I made, that I, I felt the need to fit into what the art world was looking for, and I made a decision back in the late '70s to forego that. What they what they, uh, their thoughts about my work, and I started doing public art. Public art, you have to give up your ego because you're doing something that is more for the masses, and it's not for a small group of people that would understand something that's more idiosyncratic and convoluted like where my mind will, likes to go but in public art you got to do something that fits a broader audience and so the art world is not going to find that interesting they're going to they say you sell you sold out mm-hmm. and i realized that i didn't care anymore about the art world liking my work or not you know mm-hmm. Their opinion of me is none of my business, and that freed me up tremendously.
1: Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, how liberating was that? Yeah, we take a break.
3: I pee. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Go yeah, for no it. Yeah, no
1: problem. Go for it. Yeah. What a what a treat, man! What a cool session to have with with him. It's such a wealth of cool stuff, yeah, insight.
2: Man. Yeah, and so prevalent to yeah. like. I mean, totally. And all yeah. that stuff is like so touching to i think how like you two function versus how i function too just thinking about like you guys your rational thought is always validation through i'm doing something so i'm succeeding
1: totally yeah and
2: i need more of that but i'm way more self-aware about what i'm doing in the moment of what i'm doing uh it doesn't need to be achieving but i need more of trying to achieve
1: do you stay? Do you stay uh, satisfied with yourself, w- like in that place? Well, that's it's the like, problem, oh, though. Is that
2: yes, but that yeah. conventionally isn't perceived as productive. Sure. Yeah, well, it's, it's slave it doesn't nasty. matter.
1: It doesn't matter what it's perceived as by anybody besides yeah, but it does, though,
2: Society-wise, but
1: for, like if you're ha- if you're satisfied, then then what difference does it make? Like, right?
2: Well, because you function in a, a machine. That yeah. doesn't function that way.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, you just sit on s- sit on down in that same spot, Tom, and we'll get right back to it. We can...
1: Feel better? Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes am holding it Those ginseng in. drinks, yeah. baby, those yeah, are good go right to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ginseng make you sing. Um, Steve had a, a pretty interesting question. Steve, would you kind of phrase that for Tom Uh, that same question or maybe I could
2: yeah you can you can paraphrase
0: so the the idea of the intuitive mind and the rational mind um, your self-worth should come from your being your heart your your perspective of yourself not wrapped up in achievements or monetary uh, stature, um, but yet we have to operate. We're born into this society and culture, and we need to survive. Mm-hmm. We're we're born into a monetary structure that requires us to make money and pay rent and keep the lights on. And I mean, unless you're a, a total wild man. Ted Kaczynski and you can survive in a shed with, you know, some kerosene, <laughs> then you, you, you got to go and you got to achieve and you got to allow that rational mind to run wild a little bit every so often. Uh, how do you, how, I think it comes back to maybe that original question is like, how do you balance those appropriately? Like, my rational mind takes over my intuitive mind because I am so enveloped especially at this point in my life in figuring out a way to make sure my family's set up Mm -hmm. and even though my intuitive mind and heart I think still is activated I I do go off that um, perspective quite often but figuring out the the world around me and positioning myself specifically to have a you know, wealth of funds in my bank account, to have a retirement, to be able mm-hmm. to try you know, all these things. Um it's it's tough for me to like what what if it's the other way around what if it is you you have a you have an immense feeling of self-worth but you kind of find yourself still like man i wish you know i what am i going to do when i'm 65 if i don't really get this engine going and get things organized in the right specific way like how do you know that is there is there a way to get one or the other engine moving in the appropriate way or manner uh, a little easier than, than you said? Like, how did you, once you found this in perspective and enlightenment of, okay, I am not going to find my self-worth in achievement anymore, I'm going to create art from my center, mm-hmm. what was that relationship with just making a living? How did that, did that change at but all?
2: that's your perspective on the word achievement also.
0: Right, and also, too, like, yeah, where did you, where did you find that self-worth? Oh, where I didn't need others to tell me I, was, I had value, that my, yeah. Yeah, you just already intrinsically had value, but then, like, if you, already, if you feel like you have value, then how do you find your way through the system, this capitalist system that we have sort of inherited? And achieve, and pay your rent on time, and set yourself up for success in the future. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so, a couple of things come to my
3: mind. One is uh, back, oh god, decades ago, I read a book by Joseph Campbell, who who wrote The Power of Myth and some other great, great books, and he's the one that came up with the phrase "Follow Your Bliss." and he had a little book called An Open Life in which he described that. And he, he just said, if you follow your bliss, you will have bliss. Now, this is different than making you know, a, a good living out there doing something you don't like doing. Right. And he said, if you don't follow your bliss, you will never have bliss. So you can go out there and seek all this external stuff, which is what most people do, because they have been mind-napped to believe that that's the only way to happiness. Uh, and so they never have bliss. And statistics are really bad in terms of how many people like what they do. I think it's a thing I remember was somewhere around 85% of the people don't like the jobs they have. Man, that's not a lot of people following their bliss. Yeah. So you might have all the trappings, and that's what people still believe is the answer, uh, but oh. but you're not happy. because. Oh. Mm-hmm. So is it better to follow your bliss and not have uh, all the stuff, all the big bank accounts and all that, uh, and still survive, or to have all that stuff and be unhappy mm-hmm. and never feel satisfied inside? I mean, yeah. that's a... Mm. I followed my bliss, and I didn't really know until I read that. And then I thought, "Man, I'd been following my bliss. I just yeah. figured out when I yeah. was young that I liked art, and I went to an art school. And I just—I didn't know what I was going to make a living. Uh, I just kept doing what I loved, and the passion. Uh, in my case, took me down a wonderful path. Right. You know, in terms of career and all of that. It uh, seems.
1: Um it seems really cyclical in that your 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 heart has been motivated by the thing that you wanted to do. It wasn't like and Alan, you and I have had conversations about this before, even on this podcast, where you know our rational minds are are chasing this this thing, this this dollar amount, this uh, accomplishment, this whatever the thing is that we're trying to get. Um, but the intuitive mind doesn't even recognize a lot of the things that we're doing and i think like the thing that you're going to end up with at 65 is are these like memories of your intuitive self playing with Rudy when you when you were now when you were living and you're like the dollar amount when you're 65 that you had when you were 30 40 50 60 70 is ne- is, is never going to be one of those things that you're clocking at like the end of your life you're not going to be like Man, I sure as shit had a lot of money yeah. in my bank account. I'm so awesome because of that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if I'm I'm honest, my rational mind is probably taking over here. So maybe I'll have to be- great beat awesome. it back with my intuitive stick. <laughs> uh, but I think there is um, a legitimate argument that would. Tommy never had kids. No, All right? No. Um, I look at my own life and my and the people around me who have. Uh, I think we kind of live in this world of contrast, right? So how I am able to define myself and like learn is by contrasting myself and yeah. to say it's
2: trying to monetize our bliss.
0: Exactly. Like I think you're. I don't know if that choice necessarily is. That you were talking about, is it better to have all these monetary things and security and safety, but no bliss, or is it better to have bliss and none of those things and obviously bliss right? but can you have both mm-hmm. and I think that maybe that's where i uh, you know my my perspective of my own personal uh outlook it's tough to quantify because I've never been you or I've never been Tom. I don't know how to jump outside of the way I look at the world, but I do see um, the lives of uh, different people. Uh, it's tough without like naming specific names. Um, there's people in my life that I've seen who have gone a certain way and done a certain thing and been happy. But their happiness to me personally could be quantifiable because if there's not a lot of time left, right? Because if you don't work your tail off when you're my age, then you're going to be working your tail off when you're in your later years. And, uh, I'm hoping that my reality will be one that I can pull back eventually and spend more time with my grandkids and kids and, um, revving up that rational mind a little bit when i'm younger so that i can maybe rev up the bliss mind when i'm older seems like a good trade-off i guess and that's probably why i get so locked into the rational mind and i would agree with you Jules. i'm not going to remember like dude you remember that one deal i got you know that had me set up with a couple extra commas in my bank account i'm probably not going to remember that i'm going to remember rudy's first pitch if I get to be there, how do I get to be there? My rational mind. So that's like the battle I go through well, with constantly I mean, is that in order for me to cultivate ways that I have the amount of time in order to create those blissful memories, I kind of have to turn up that rational mind a little bit. How do I angle this bliss that I've created? I've mean, done the same thing. I've followed my heart and followed the bliss. If I were to look back on it and like my older self to my younger self, I'd be like, I don't know. my rational mind might take over and like poke and prod a little bit. But I've followed my bliss and I've gotten to a place where uh, I'm very happy and very excited about the life that I lead. But um, uh, I I think that... uh, I think that I'm going on a tangent that doesn't really have much of a point. Completely. (laughs) Correct correct me if I'm wrong.
1: (laughs) Self-care after the podcast, (laughs) Alan. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Hey, Julian gets to do it every episode, man. (laughs) 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 About Uh, damn time.
1: (laughs) What do I get to do every episode? Self-care. Self-care, dude. That's the best. Um, Yeah, Alan, I mean, it's it's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like from where, like, if I'm reducing what you just said, you are doing that thing where you are, you need the thing to get the thing. You Like, X needs to happen, what is it called, uh, Cause cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to have a career, a big, blasting, growing career in order to, like, be at a place in your life where you assume that you can go and watch your son throw out his first pitch like because but you don't you like you whereas here hear this out like you go and you see your son's first pitch because that is the actual approach that you're trying to take and that first pitch actually gives you feeds your soul this thing that then lends itself to the art and the stuff that you're doing outside of that. And then that whole cycle of events makes you a better artist all over, altogether, and happier and sad, more sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the analogy of Rudy's first pitch isn't necessarily the, the greatest pivot point in that argument. But, uh, I do, I guess my point is, is that there are, th- there is something in the future that I look towards that I go, man, I, I, I better do my best to position myself now to get to that place, and it's not completely derailing my bliss mind or like my joy right now. It's more so just I I think deviating a little bit.
1: I don't know how to specifically guess, explain it. I but guess there's there's just no there's no place that you get to, is there? Or is there like a pl- like, where, Have you gotten to where you expected yourself to get to? Or did you like have that goal and then get there and, or does it just like continue to evolve for you and always, cause, mm-hmm. cause like you're going to chase something that will never exist. And I will too. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not just sitting here and like arguing with you. I'm talking to myself as well, but I just, I don't think that by constantly and and i want we we're, we're both we have great work ethic and we work really hard and we do really cool things and that, and that does feed us bliss in a lot of really cool ways but it also generates a lot of uh, anxiety and it and it creates expectations for us to continue to go and go and go and so i think there's some things for me personally that i'm missing out on in life because i'm so focused on mm-hmm. becoming better than what i am now rather than just being happy with what I am now and mm-hmm. and, and enjoying the fact that I'm just sitting, like, I, take the mic away, take the cameras away, everything, and we're just talking to you, and that is the greatest gift of all, is that this moment exists mm-hmm. and that the future doesn't, and, and it only exists as a result of how we're existing in this moment. Um, and...
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's it I'd I'd love to sit down with like an Eckhart or a Ramdas because
1: you, you know, got one. Yeah, we're pretty close. We do. We're pretty close.
0: <laughs> we're nearby it, but I mean, you know, Eckhart Tolle wrote these incredible books and I would imagine that he benefited greatly off of their sales. Mm-hmm. And that is in theory future thought. Like to Pair with a publisher and think about your message getting out. Like, there has to be a level of rationality involved in any form of
2: that. Yeah. Is it just balancing the yin and the yang and yeah, like taking, doing the best part of both of those sides? And that's like I the focus on being, that's the productive aspect of it is choosing in that journey of. The good and the bad as you wanna just label them or whatever, but finding bliss in your end result makes your choices going through that the positive in the end game, regardless if it was good or bad.
3: Well my, my experience is that bliss is not about the end game, bliss is about the moment. And when we're following our bliss we we know we have a passion for something and we that's when we trust our intuition to follow that nudge. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. The nudge is to just follow something that we really just love and that we can't imagine not doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that's doing in a, in a very positive way. <clears throat> the, to me, the balance is if, if we come from the heart, if we come from, there's a thing that says follow your heart, uh, your brain is crazy. <laughs>
0: she didn't tell
3: and so if if we are going through the day and we are practicing the things that keep us centered in the heart, then what we do through the day has a state of awareness behind it. Mm-hmm. So we are consciously aware of the things that we're doing to pursue to pursue the goals that are perfectly fine in terms of creating this stability and things that you're talking about. But we don't have to, we're either going to just let the mind continue to control and then suffer. All suffering is caused by attachment of mind. Or we're going to drop into the heart space more often and feel that sense of being centered and that beautiful bliss of connecting to Mm -hmm. something, the ineffable, and then that gives us more focus and even more available energy throughout the day that would be wasted because anxiety and stress mm. pull away. It takes a lot of energy to go through that. Mm. So, why not practice every day the routine of being connected mm-hmm. to that, to love and to our uh, essence, and then just let that be the underlying tone? Right. for the day and then what we go out and do uh is going to be done for the right reasons mm. and without without feeling some kind of heavy oh I got to do this yeah, yeah and I'm going to bring up one word that I tell my students to get out of their vocabulary and that's have to you know we don't have to do anything and I tell them they say what they'll say I have to get to this next class and it's like a negative, right? Uh, and I say, you don't have to go to that class. Just don't go. Did you have to get up this morning? And they say, well, yeah, I had to get up. I said, well, who put a gun to your head? Mm-hmm. Hmm. You got up because you got up. Now, if you say I have to get up, you are putting a negative bias on that. Mm. And it's setting the day up negatively. But if you say I get to get up, I get to go to school. I get to go to this class because it all is get to. Life it does not have better. to. It's get to. Yeah. Mm. And when I figured that out years ago, it's so freeing to mm. just get that word out of, the, out of the way. You know, these words have so much power. Mm. Uh, so I say, forget about that word. And every time they use it, I just say, no, 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 you get to. You mm. get to. And then they start realizing that there's a big freedom to go through the day feeling lighter, it's like, oh, God, I, got, I have to go do this. Wow. It's not true. It's never true. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple thing. It's so simple, it's... but
0: one word can just be debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's not even the word, right? It's the perspective. It's the... I mean, the word is very, very powerful, right? But mm-hmm. just you could feel like you have to or you could feel like you get to. Mm-hmm. And that feeling we attach these words to these feelings, right? Like it's we just do. a mouth have, is just a mouth sound. Yep. But it's how we feel and how closely centered we are to our heart that we can change that perspective. of so much, such powerful be, beings. And that's like just been such a thrill to have you in here, Tom, and uh, get, to, get to dialogue with you about it. I feel like we barely even talked about your art. You just gave us a... Dissertation about centeredness, which was like, seen <laughs> human. <laughs> epic, dude. Oh, the yeah. best. Thank you, Tom. I can't thank you enough, Tom. And we, I, I just want to ask uh, a favor of you if you'd come back eventually and, and we can talk more. I would love it.
3: I would love it. I love being here with you guys because this is being. Yeah. You know, just like doing, to me, it's focusing on what's here right now. And this conversation uh, definitely
2: benefits me yeah uh, it very I much so it, benefited us too tom yeah find yeah out more
3: about you guys and you know. i think
1: i think it's 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 a really cool platform this is a becoming more of a popular thing to do in the in the world of entertainment and uh it's been such a cool approach for us to take as creatives because it really does allow us to to be present and to and to kind of just like get get settled in and and to find our flow and sometimes it's hard you know like interviewing people or talking and trying to like talk and make sense with each other like our friendship is growing through this Steve's friendship and ours is growing mm-hmm. with this like we're it's an interesting thing but at the end of the day it's like what you were just talking about like the, the simpler you allow yourself to be with it and the more permission you allow yourself mm-hmm. to have with just like being and existing mm-hmm. the I'll best just, comes let me
3: just say one thing the, to me it comes down to the one word connecting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that when we connect we feel a part of life on a much deeper level mm. that's why the coronavirus has caused so much suffering because people are <clears throat> really looking into faces and seeing each other and feeling that energy coming out of us that connects us
0: well we thank you for connecting with us today mm. tom this has been
1: so this has been rad it's man. been amazing, amazing.
0: i feel like i'm floating yeah. i feel like
1: i do i'm gonna i am going to <laughs> I'm going to invite you over to Alan's house myself for dinner. <laughs> Will you come over? Okay. We don't, well, you go, oh, you don't, don't we owe Tom a dinner? Yeah, or yeah spam, we you Yes, yes yeah. you do. Spam. Two or three. Yeah. Let's We're have a Spam. Uh, let's see what's We're up. We're going to get some
0: masubi going tonight, I also baby. want to hear the Spam song again. Yeah, one more time. Can you yeah. can, can you, you end talk us do, off? hand it out with the uh, – Should we
3: give send you the, send the background?
1: With, Should we give you the bum, 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 Oh bum, yeah, do it. bum, 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 bum Mr.
3: Spam Man. I'm so alone I don't have a spam can to call my own That spatial pink meat with jelly all over I have to handle it and smell that older Mr.
1: Spam Man. <laughs> <again. laughs> Tom Askman. He is the man. Oh, thanks, Tom. Tom thank, thank you, so Tom. Much. You're the <laughs> best dude. You're, You're well well so good.
2: Man.
0: <laughs> oh, boo-boo, did you just make it to the end of the video? Yes, you did. Do you
1: want to see more videos just like this one? Huh? Do you? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash live at the lodge where you can support the How Goods of This podcast as well as the entire Live at the Lodge family.
0: Yep, yeah, you're going to get exclusive merch, personalized shout-out videos. Me and Jules, we're going to show up at your house and baptize your nephew, huh? <laughs>
2: Check it out, patreon.com slash live at the lodge.